Hello everyone, welcome to my cup of tea. I am Jay, and me and my best friend Joy, we are coming to you to talk about all things about the arts. Whether that's books, music, um, art from galleries, and even stage plays. We are here to talk a bit because all of that is our cup of tea. So today, we are actually going to talk about the new book by Suzanne Collins, um, Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. Now, if you don't know, this book is the prequel to her previous um, books, The Hunger Game Trilogy, where it was a trilogy, right? Yes. I forgot. Like <laughs> right there. The Hunger Games trilogy, where um, we follow the story of Katniss, and she goes through two Hunger Games and a rebellion. Um, and during this whole time with Panem country, with the capital being the main district, the rich district, where everything stems from, um, it goes all the way through District 13. And so Katniss goes through, and during all this, she finds out that there was a previous war, and the whole reason for these Hunger Games is as punishment for the Great War, because the districts rose up in rebellion to try to take over the capital. Um, and so we follow her story through all these you know, different things to have her end up in District 13. Well, Suzanne Collins decided to instead continue that story to do a prequel where we find out um, the story of President Snow. Um, and where did he come from? and what the story is. And the cool thing about this book is we will soon reveal that not only is a prequel, but actually kind of gives hints on how the Hunger Games started, why they became what they were, and even talks about the war and gives you enlightenment on what that war actually looked like for the capital and why the Hunger Games was such a valid retribution in their eyes. So, I would like spoiler to get- Alerts. Yes, exactly. This is a complete <laughs> spoiler alert podcast. So if you have not read the book and you want to read it without spilers, please turn off our podcast, but visit us later <laughs> for us to discuss Absolutely. about it. Absolutely. But yeah, this is complete spoilers. We're going to talk about everything that has to do with it, including our own opinions. So yeah, I hope you guys enjoy it. So. And before we get into all of that, we will introduce ourselves. Yes, because this is our first podcast. All right, well, I am Jay. Um, I am an enthusiast of all things art, whether that's dance, theater, um, art galleries, music, books. I am there for it. I love it. I've been a fan of it ever since I was younger. So doing this podcast is just definitely just a fun hobby and my cup of tea, honestly. So while you introduce, and then I'm gonna introduce my partner in crime in all this, Miss Joy. Hi, I'm Joy. Um, I am a obvious lover of the arts as well. My email just happens to be artsy mama. <laughs> and that's because I'm a mom of two crazy kiddos and uh, they are just as artsy as I am. My daughter is all about drawing, coloring, like she's the weird kid who actually colors in the lines, which I think is insane <laughs> because I never did that myself. <laughs> um, but she takes after her dad who is a legit artist. Um, mm. 
and I am a South Korean American, and my handle on Twitch is Tolkien Asian because I'm usually the token Asian in basically my entire life. I was adopted when I was nine months old, and that's when I came to America. And I thank the Lord of that every day because I didn't have to deal with the plane ride when I was actually oh, conscious. It's long plane ride, y'all. <laughs> yes. Have you ever been to the Asian side of the world, um, whether it's even, even the North Pacific, it takes forever to get there. So whether you go North, Central, or South Pacific, it takes forever. That ocean is just yes. ginormous. And I've experienced it once, but luckily I was an infant and will never remember <laughs> it. <laughs> Um, but I love books. I love writing. I have written one comic book and am awaiting my wonderful husband to illustrate it for me. And it's all about my children and their amazing imagination and their just crazy adventures. And I'm so blessed to have Jay as my best friend because it's wonderful to have friends who have a common bond. And if you are an Anne of Green Gables friend, she would definitely be my bosom friend. Aww. <laughs> and um, I'm just so excited to start this journey and this um, literary slash artsy adventure because anything to get me reading is I think a plus in my book yeah well and that's it I think um you know Joy is definitely like one of the best partners to have in this because her household like she said is like art filled her husband does amazing artwork I mean it's absolutely phenomenal artwork and then she herself is a writer and you know you could just like every time you go in the home you just know it's like there's like flowing art energy everywhere I mean it's crazy but um, yeah, I think she is the perfect one to join me on this venture just because she's very art-minded and so am I. Um, so yeah, I love it. I love it. So let us go ahead and get started into uh, this book. So once again, this is Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, written by Suzanne Collins. Um, and it legitimately starts off with learning about um, Coronelius Snow. Now, if we do not pronounce his first name correctly, it's Coriolanus. I'm, yeah, Coriolanus. It's like my brain wanted to, to drop the second O and just say Cornelius, because yes. that's just how my brain works. Me but too. it's more futuristic than that, apparently. <laughs> it's Coriolanus. Well, it's also a William Shakespeare play, but I love Tigress because she shortens it to Corio. Yeah, it's Coro, yeah. And that is so much easier to oh. remember and to be able to pronounce because I always want to say Cornelius. Yes, exactly. So I love Coro because it was just like, okay, I can do that. I can deal with that. Um, yeah. So let's go over with the characters real quick. So we have Corio or Corioanus Snow, which we yeah. all know later in the Hunger Games as President Snow. This is when he's young, so it talks about him finishing the academy and going to university. So I'm guessing he's probably American standard age, around 18. He's in that limit where he's past being a child and coming into adulthood. So he's young. He's experienced in the, fin in the sense that he did survive a war, 
Um, they're out of the war now. They're just rebuilding everything. Um, and they've done the Hunger Games, not even a full generation yet of Hunger Games. So the Hunger Games is still fairly new as well. It's still very raw. Um, and so that's around the age that we're looking at. We also have his cousin Tigress, who is, um, oh, and also Snow is also completely um, orphaned at this point as well. And he lives with his grandma. Um, and then we have Tigress, his cousin, who is also orphaned, but also lives with them. So I see her as also like a very sisterly figure in this case, because mm -hmm. yes. um, she helps take care of them. They get through this together. They survive rations. They survive um, going through a lot of stuff. At this point, Snow is dirt poor. All right, that starts off right on the bat in the book just to describe how poor he is. And we'll get into that too once we get into the story. But he is dirt poor. He lives with his grandma. And his grandma is older. You can tell that she can't really take care of the family solidly anymore. Um, she's getting to that age where Tigress and Snow are taking care of her. And I um, love her nickname. Grandma'am. Yeah, Grandma'am. Grandma'am. Yeah. Yes. That's like the, like, that was so clever on Suzanne Collins' part. Mm -hmm. Like, I thought that was genius. Yeah. It's just, like... Why did it you like perfect. that so much? Like, is that just the name, or do you just like the, like, just how maybe she's grand, like, almost like Pan Am, like Grand Nam? Like, why do you like that name so much? Okay, so this might be a part that you want to cut out. Okay. <laughs> um, but I think, like, in the first Hunger Games, there was, like, a, it wasn't just Pan Am, but it was, like, basically because of Pan Am. Mm-hmm. But, like, I, I, yeah, it was, like, playing into that, that whole rhetoric. Yeah. But, I mean, that's it, you know. Um, Why do you have to hit me with the hard questions right off that? Oh, my God. <laughs> well, I guess I personally like the name because you see Grandmam as, like, definitely a patriotic to the old pandemic. Like, she yes. was there before the war. She survived the war. She took care of young Snow and Tigress through the war. And so she, I mean, this is a character that wakes up singing the Pan Am anthem when most citizens don't even know the words to it. I mean, she is strong, hard, you know, the capital is the best. The capital is the place to be. We were solidly in the right. The, everyone who lives in the districts are just savages. You know, she is very much that iconic capital figure, I believe. And this is also it shows the type of environment that Snow grew up on. That his lens and his perspective is that the capital is the best and that is where you need to be. You know? And so you have this really die hard grandma, you know, I think we all have um either ran into people who are very strong willed or we have them in our own families that when you're around that a lot, it's hard not to either fight them and run away or get on their side to join them on that point of view and that, like, lens. Well, also, psychologically for Grandma'am, um, it is a way t for her to feel safe because she knows the boundaries and limitations within her patriotism. Mm -hmm. And it's up to this point really served her because she did come from a very wealthy background until 
this war Mm -hmm. and until her son died. So for her, it's a way to kind of latch on and keep strong to that safety net that she has had her for at least a long time, maybe not her whole life. Mm -hmm. But I believe that's what a lot of patriotism comes from is that sense of security and that like you know the structure you know like what to expect Mm -hmm. in life and sometimes we can take that too far but Mm -hmm. sometimes we have a healthy psychological like interpretation of that Mm -hmm. it really for her it we don't really get to know because it's not extremely delved into in this book. Right. But Well, and I think you actually kind of see it in Snow because I think that's he's also at that type of age where does he adopt everything that he was taught by his grandma or and like the what life has shown him or when we do get to it on how he ventures out into the districts, we'll get to that and how that all happens. Um he has to come to terms with, do I still believe in what the capital says, or am I going to make my own opinions about the districts and what needs to happen? And I think also it is important to show that, you know, Snow, his father recently passed away. His mother passed away. Um, and I think the sad thing about it is his mom passed away in the middle of the war when she was giving birth to his younger sibling and she died and bled out and her and the baby passed away. And the only reason why they passed away is because medical care couldn't get to her fast enough because of the war, because of the rubble, because of the bombings, because of everything that happened. So you see Snow growing up in this environment. Yeah, his money's now all lost. Um, Tigress's parents are gone and her fortune is lost. Grandmam's fortune is lost, but they're Snows. So they have to keep this figure of, you know, we are on top. We have to be the best of the best. And that's actually legitimately where the story sets up, where Snow is going to the Academy on the first day because they just announced that for this Hunger Games, for the first time, they're going to use students as mentors. So this is, if you guys have read the Hunger Games, this is way before the fancy arenas. This is way before the sponsorships. This is even before the mentors because they were previous winners. This is so bare-boned that... Like, the arena, when they describe it, is completely disheveled. It's, like, run down, broken, just... Literally, they're just using this arena for the Hunger Games. But there's no tactic about it. They throw these kids in there with weapons, and then they kill each other. I mean, there's no other puzzles or environmental factors. It's literally, they just kill. And there's not even a prize. Like, at this point, there's no prize for winning. Yeah. You just get to go back Besides to your district. you get to live. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's your prize. So... What this story also sets up at the very, very beginning is that while Snow was going to the Academy, the reason why they're doing this is because they're trying to get all of Panem, districts, and Capital included to watch the games. Because even the Capital citizens right now aren't watching the games. So mm-hmm. they're trying to get them... So they, they got these group of best students, so young thinkers to try to come up. And they basically use them as like guinea pigs or as um, think machines to come up with new ideas to get people to watch the games. And so this is Snow trying to put on his best foot forward to the Academy because he's going to be one of the mentors. And then the reaping happens that day on they decide what, you know, 
uh, tribute gets hooked up with what mentor. And I think that's like all in chapter one, isn't it, Joy? Like that's like all like at the very, very beginning, all that setup. Um, sure. <laughs> Not I'm a sorry, it kind of all blends in for me. Oh, that's um, fine. Yeah. So talk about like what you thought about the very beginning. So we see Snow going to the academy and you find out that he's actually going to be one of the mentors. Like what kind of went through your mind? Like did you think that this was going on for a while or like, you know, I mean, because I think that's just a really intriguing idea using young students but into such a barbaric thing and we don't even know like the whole history of like the war and stuff much yet this is all just like oh you're gonna be mentors here are the tributes you're just like okay i mean i understood ha having a mentor of someone who was previously in the hunger games because that makes sense right you're gonna mentor them how to win and how to yes. accomplish it but this is like so weird that they took a group of students to be mentors and nothing well, that they don't even know anything about really yeah i think that honestly it shows how underdeveloped this whole concept was at this point mm -hmm. because i believe the hunger games had been going on at least a decade by this point mm -hmm. and they're still trying to figure things out because there's only but so much you can learn per year because every year is going to be a little different Right. And I mean, the fact that they're still in just this small arena instead of what we see in the actual Hunger Games with Katniss. Um, but, but, okay, so I thought that having the students as mentors was a genius concept by the author mainly because it showed how disconnected the capital was to the districts in the first place mm -hmm. because you're getting these pampered like arachne for example super pampered super pretentious kids who think that they are the bee's knees mm -hmm. mentoring these children and I say children very specifically because mm -hmm. we are in a world where we are making children gladiators um, and trying to somehow create a relationship to get them through the game so that these pretentious kids can win a prize. Yeah. And that just shows how disconnected the capital was because there's no way that these district kids are going to want to even remotely have a relationship with capital kids. Right. That's like, how would you like it if you were asked to have a relationship with your abuser? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. Well, I think um, that... That's not going to yeah. work. Exactly. I think that's like, just to see the world, I mean, we're not even into the story. You look at this pandemic world, and you see how because of this war um against pandem um and we don't even know like I i'm curious and like okay well what happened before to have the rebels retaliate <laughs> it's like i mean it's like oh my gosh um and but the rebels are retaliating they destroy the capital they 
kill lots of innocent lives. You know, blood has been spilled on both sides. Um, I mean, and also it talks about how the capital was rife with disease. Um, there was rabies everywhere. You find out that there were sicknesses. There was, you know, even lice, you know. Measles. Yeah, measles. And then they even talk about, you know, how Snow witnessed some of his neighbors and other people with uh, cannibalism because the yeah. people were starving. So you see this very desolate world, and the capital just came out of that, like either maybe at most a decade. Um, even It could be even like less than a decade. So it's very new, very fresh. Like I said, not even a generation has gone through everything yet. Um, everyone who was alive through the war is still alive for the most part. Um, and so you have this academy that seems like they just rebuilt themselves. They just got students coming back. They actually have a proper school together again. Um, and yeah, and so you have these kids coming and they're like, okay, we made it. We've won against the rebels. The districts are now back in chains, basically. You know, the they're back in their place. But then now you have to mentor them on how to survive. Now, the interesting thing is, is that the the tributes don't get a prize. They just get to live. But the incentive for the students to do this is they get a prize, a money prize, where they can either use it as a scholarship to go to the university or they can use it for their own purposes. And so yes. Snow comes in because it sets up how he's poor. He has nothing. He wants that money to set up himself to go to university so he can actually become something. Because without that university piece, he can't have anything. He doesn't have a future. Because this is a world where there aren't that many jobs. There's no, like, there's no luxuries. There's not even any clubs, really, at this point. There's no extracurricular, fancy, um, you know, kind of way of life. I mean, this is like a world where they just probably came off of rations. So literally, your yes. job is either to succeed and go to university or be a peacemaker or go back to the districts. There's like nothing right now. Yeah, and honestly, we don't really even know a lot about daily life outside of the kids who go to school. Mm -hmm. um, which I think is probably for the better in this instance <laughs> because the book is already for a young adult novel rather long. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I felt personally that chapter one out of the entire book is my favorite chapter because I feel like Suzanne Collins set up Coriolanus's or Corio's situation perfectly. I, especially with his cousin Tigress, which... I hadn't read the Hunger Games since before I was married, and our 10-year anniversary is next year, so it's been a while. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I did not realize, and I don't know if this is in the first books, that they were cousins. Mm. Um, it's been a while, I and I apologize. Um, but it's just the little things like um, I can read a passage it's the shirt the shirt his mind could fixate on a problem like that anything really and not let go as if controlling one element of his world would keep him from ruin 
It was a bad habit that blinded him to other things that could harm him. A tendency towards obsession was hardwired into his brain, and he would likely be his undoing if he couldn't learn to outsmart it. And that's like a reoccurring theme in the book is his obsession and his obsession driven personality. Mm-hmm. And do you think this the... could be a result of the war? Yeah, that's what I was about to ask. Do you think it's because that was a result from the war? Like, because he had to survive. Absolutely. Like, there's either survive or die. So, in no sense, he already went through a Hunger Games of his own. He had to survive. If not, he'd die. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I think. I think even just thinking about that, like, I mean, it makes a lot more sense on when we talk about how Snow does interact with this tribute and how he views the Hunger Games, you know, that makes a lot of sense. Because it's not like a kid who has been pampered to the extent of he doesn't know hardship. This is a guy who already knows hardship. It's just a different kind of hardship. But he's still in the capital, which is still has resources and things to do, you know? Exactly, and like his whole life livelihood is held by this thread of his name, of his reputation, and that's another thing that the first chapter really drives home, and I think does really well. And one thing that stuck out to me was the part when they are talking about his grandma or the grandman, grandman, mm-hmm. um, how he calls her the crazy old woman <laughs> and how there's this woman who, if people saw her, he might be embarrassed, he might be ashamed, and, like, I wrote down... Um, we have things we want to hide from the world and our friends. It's devastating that what Coriolanus wants to hide is hidden by the demise of his grandmother's life and doomed hopes. Because in the first chapter, there's a passage that says, Thank goodness the broken elevator and her arthritic knees prevented her from going out much, and her infrequent visitors were as fossilized as she... Mm-hmm. And so chapter one just really sets up all the spinning dishes that Coriolanus has even before this huge assignment of mm-hmm. being a mentor. Yeah, he has a lot of things going on at home. You know, he needs this money. He needs to win this prize for winning the Hunger Games. His tribute, winning the Hunger Games. He needs this prize money to go to university to make a life of himself. Because on top of that, there is no man of the house figure in his home. He's it. Um, We also have Tigress, his cousin, who is working and trying to bring things. uh, But she is also older than him. So she is taking on like that older sister role on trying to take care of him and help him. But then we also have Grand M, who is probably hitting the stage of his dementia. She's old. She's kind of a little bit back crazy, but she's also so gung-ho, like, old capital 
that he thinks that she's utterly ridiculous. So you do have, you like you said, you have all these stressors, all these different tasks and spinning plates that poor Snow has to keep track of. And this is even before we find out about the big assignment about him going being a mentor for this, you know, Hunger Games. And I think that, I think you're right. Chapter one, Suzanne Collins was absolutely brilliant because not only does it bring you back right into our world, but it completely unblindedly sets up just like, boom, this is the world we're at. This is what he has to deal with. And hey, we're not even at the main event yet, you know? And you're like, oh my gosh, exactly. I'm going to have to go in. All right. So beyond this, Jay, what is your over overall opinion on this book? It Was it a win for you? How do you feel? Um, I absolutely... Honestly, I love this book. Um, I loved just... Honestly, first of all, I give it like a 10 out of 10 for writing. I feel like Suzanne Collins came right back with her writing. And I know, you know, Joy and I off, you know, podcasts have discussed how Hunger Games, you know, I loved the first book and the second one. But then the third book, in the middle of the second half, it kind of her writing just seems to kind of have a lot of open gaps in it and it feels like it's very quickly written almost just to kind of finish up that story but this one already just this whole book is tightly packed with not only the story itself but even other pieces to create this world to make you think about this world to even think about your own feelings about this world um and almost like shifting your cultural lens a little bit to figure out well, what would you do? How would you feel? How would you react? Because um, there's lots of points in the story where you kind of are pulling these pieces up because you're already stuck in this world where this country offers their kids as tribute, which it goes against the human nature already. So you already have to come into terms, well, how do I feel about that, about reading about this? Children dying and killing each other. But then you have this story still woven inside it to kind of help you navigate your feelings but also follow along these characters as they figure out how they feel about it too you know um and as for the story prospect i once again i love it i hope that she continues this prequel a little bit more because i because by the end you kind of see snow step into his own but you still feel like there's so much story that needs to be told before he's like president snow and how like by yeah. the end of katniss how does he come about to be the man that he is? But then within like this book, you see why Katniss resolves that what she does. Like it's only gonna be fighting back and forth. And is there really a right answer to this country? Is there really a way to fix all this? Um, and so I, I really enjoyed this story. And I honestly think this prequel can actually save the ending of The Hunger Games and how it's woven a bit which is really a lot to say because you never really say yeah. that about prequels at all <laughs> you never say oh prequel can really save the original trilogy it's like no usually the prequel is just like an extra and you're like oh okay it was all right but no i mean this prequel is like oh this makes a lot more sense on why it's not just as simple as a rebel army coming against because they hate the hunger games no this has been a fight going on for a long time and it's just a transfer of power. It's not really for the good of all people. You know? Yes, and 
I feel like this is such a interesting world that it would be a shame to not explore it more because that's why we loved the Hunger Games so much to begin with because Suzanne Collins built this like America futured world that's very I don't know if dystopian is the right word but very just completely different than what we are used to now because mm-hmm. this is pre- this is America but in the future yeah like America we're used to being comfortable we're used to having food we're used to not being at like the war is never in our face right the way that it is in this book like this is almost like this cold war mm-hmm. but in Soviet Russia yeah instead of America because yeah. Over there, there was cannibalism. There were people selling mm-hmm. body parts for money to be able to survive. Right. Survival was such a different experience in that era, which was not long ago yep. from us. And this is, for me, I have mixed feelings. And what's funny about it is I originally suggested this book for our podcast because I had read the beginning of it but now that I finished it I have such a different opinion than when I first (laughs) started it (laughs) and I think that's why Jay and I are really great people to do a podcast together because we don't have the same opinion a lot of the times on things which somehow makes us really great <laughs> friends but also it leads to very interesting conversation it's very true very true <laughs> um because there's just a few issues i have with the book mainly after the first bit i felt like the pacing got a little off and i started getting a little bored with the story mm-hmm. and i feel like the abrupt ending that she had with um, Mockingjay, mm-hmm. I felt like it almost carried on to this book a little bit because a lot of things just felt very abrupt to me. Mm. Main- mainly the Hunger Games, which I understand you don't want it to be a huge part of this book because we already had it be a huge part of the trilogy right so and the first book of the trilogy so we don't need a redo of all that Mm -hmm. um well especially the fact that i think this book is not necessarily the hunger games is part of his life but this is just to look at snow and how he sees it exactly Mm -hmm. exactly so we don't need that but there's just some parts of this book i'm like i just felt like could have maybe been just a little more fine-tuned or a little bit more concisely etched together and that's coming from you know someone who is not a professional author (laughs) but um I just I just felt like there was just some parts of the story I was 
wishing that they would just be a little bit more dynamic mm-hmm. and a little bit more emotional. This is a very unemotional book, even though it's dealing with very emotional, some people would consider triggering events mm-hmm. that can be something that a lot of people struggle with PTSD, with just anxiety, with mental health. Like, mm-hmm. there's. I think that they could have explored that just a little bit more, just the way that they do with Katniss mm-hmm. in the Hunger Games. And maybe that is kind of what she does now that I'm thinking about it with Coriolanus. He's just the type of person who stuffs all of his emotion away mm-hmm. after being traumatized. And now he's just emotionless and that's how he goes through the world with that lens of all of this horrible trauma has happened to me. And so now I'm just going to shove all of my emotion away because if I let it out, then I'm going to be hurt then I'm going to be vulnerable. And if I'm not in control, then I'm going to crumble. Right. And maybe that's why he has his obsessive, compulsive tendencies and thoughts. Mm-hmm. Is because he's stuffing it all away. Exactly. I think you hit a really good point. Because I completely understand what you're saying about emotion. But if you look at Snow and his character. So don't look at all the other like supporting characters. If you look at Snow, I think his emotion and character was fleshed out. But it's hidden. It's not so obvious. Yeah. And what you have to do is, and that's why I think, how is this a youth book? This is like an adult book, not because right. of the content, but because the themes like are so deep and massive and there's so much like in between the lines um, writing, you know, so you take Snow as a character and you take him as, okay, you got to remember, he just went through a war. So there's a lot of trauma within that where he saw his neighbors cannibalizing each other, basically. Um, exactly. No food. He had to survive. On top of that, not only was he just a normal human that had to survive, he was a rich, like, incredibly powerful family that had to survive. And if anybody found out that they were poor, they would have been taken out literally. So the only way for him to survive even just a step higher from the rest is he had to save face. So that requires hiding. Like, it even talks about in the book, he hides his malnourishment. Um, he pretends to eat food slowly even though he's starving and he wants to gobble it up. So I think once again when he does meet his tribute from District um, 13 or is it 12? District 12. Because there was 13 but the 13 is the lost district. Okay. From District 12. You know he understands that hunger. He understands that malnourishment. He understands that needing to survive element. And then so on top of that, having to save face and do all that, he now has to do it because, um, you know, at the school with the the president of the school and how he has a vendetta against Snow. And if he ever found out that Snow's family was basically in that financial trouble, he'd be out of that school. He'd be out of that academy. It's a done deal. He was only in there not because of money and his status, but because of his Snow status. So you already have this very young kid that has to save face. That That's it. Um, but you do get to see him cry in the shower after some of the big events in the 
movie. You see him even falling for, um, you know, Lucy Gray and all that happenings. But and then at the end, you have no, I cannot be vulnerable. I have to save face because love made me vulnerable. It made me stupid. It made me make wrong decisions that went against what was best for me and my family for us to survive. Um, and so that's, I think that's at the end of the book, he's like, no more. And I think that's where you see, that's the beginning of Snow as we see him as President Snow, as he's put on those boots now and he's gonna now just start becoming that president that we know in the Hunger Games trilogy. Yeah, because I I feel like a lot, some of us, we are so used to seeing the character arcs like um, Heisenberg from Breaking Bad where this guy starts off kind of neutral, mm-hmm. but then by the end of it, he is just a villain, just 100% evil, yeah. right? <laughs> and it's at the point where he can't justify it because it's for his family by this point. Right. And sometimes we want to see that in in the content that we're reading, but Suzanne Collins is playing the long game, mm-hmm. and you don't see him being that full Heisenberg until the Hunger Games, until yeah. Katniss, until mm-hmm. that's when he's the evil 100% villain where he can't justify his actions with his family or trying to survive. Right. Because he's at a level where he's not doing anything out of survival right. anymore. Right. Like he's the president. Right. Absolutely. And I think that's what makes this book so brilliant, if you think about it, is that it allows his character to now be complicated. Because, I mean, in The Hunger Games, you think, oh, he's the big villain, he's the big bad, Katniss, you need to take him out. And at the end of Hunger Games, you find Katniss is like, no, it's just transferring a power. Exactly. So she doesn't even kill him. And, you know, and the, re- the rebellion kills him. But now you go back to the beginning, and you think, no, he is complicated. This whole world, it's not about black versus white. This is not about right or wrong. Yes, there are morals within it. But all humans have to try to figure that out. They have to try to figure out drawing the line. And I think that brings us to like our next thing of like introducing some of the characters of the school with Dr. Gold and um, the president of the school. You know, because you have the president of the school and the reason why he's the president of the school, because like I said, this academy is the fairly dean. new. Yeah, the dean. Um, yeah. You know, he's he's now the dean of the school and the only reason he is is because he created da, 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 the Hunger Games. He's the one who, once the war was over and the capital won, he, they were all asking how should the districts pay for the blood that they spilled. And he and actually Snow's father that we found out later come up with the idea together to start the Hunger Games. Um, and you're just like, oh, man. So it wasn't even just like this whole, like, it wasn't a, like, a board of directors or, a, you know, military people who said, well, you need to be punished for this many years. It's like, no. Once again, two young guys who survived the war decided, no, they need to pay for all the, the blood they spilled. So they did the most inhumane thing, and that is to make the districts offer up their children. 
which is children are the most precious thing to any civilization. If you look at any civilization in the world, you protect women and you protect children. That is what you do. Um, you know, the first rule, even like when you go on a, a ship or a plane, you know, who gets off first? Women and children. You, you save the children first. Um, and for these two guys to say, well, what would bring the most pain to the districts? They have to offer up their future. They have to put that in our control, figuratively and literally. Off exactly. of our future. And guess what? We're not going to kill them. They're going to kill each other. It's so diabolical in just that sense. Um, and then so now you're like, okay, so the dean of this school, now apparently he started the Hunger Games. And they have Dr. Gold, who's the game's master. She's the one who started the hybrid animal human weird mixture creature lab yes okay so she you also get to meet the 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 horrible weird crazy mind that you find in hunger games that starts this mutation lab um and she is actually the head of the hunger game she's the game master and you're like should we really have someone like that in charge of this i mean and then she wants the people of the capital to watch it because no one watch it now. So what's the point on keeping districts in check if no one's going to watch it? If it's not going to matter. They want people to watch it because they want people to be reminded who has the power, who has the control. Well, the capital does. Um, and so just to see Snow even come up against that too, it's just, oh man, it, it opens up so many things. It actually... Once again, I think this is the first time I've seen a prequel actually support the trilogy so much. It's not just a pre-date of the trilogy, but actually now supports all the information we learned in the Hunger Games. And now just, like, bolsters it up a little bit more. Yeah, one really interesting thing about Dr. Gall is that her character, she has a very clear philosophy on humans. Is mm -hmm. that we are innately violent we are innately just always going to kill or be killed mm -hmm. and instead of her really orchestrating everything and implementing all of her ideas because she has this philosophy of people she takes that philosophy that she believes 100% wholeheartedly. She projects it on her students. And her students are the ones who are giving you all the ideas mm -hmm. of the Hunger Games. Because a lot of what we see in the Hunger Games with Katniss is, are ideas that came from President Snow. Mm-hmm. And so she could have come up with all of the ideas on her own, but she's like, why do that when I have all these brilliant young minds that all they're going to do is figure out ways to continue on our human nature, which is to destroy. Now, I have a couple of questions for you about Dr. Gold. So the first question is, like... Do you think that she's using them so she because she ran out of ideas herself? Or do you think this is like a 
uh, lack of better words, like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Willy Wonka scenario, where she finds out her own, her limitations, her humanity's coming to an end, and she has to find basically an heir to her madness. And so, I think she looks at it that way. But do you think, I mean, if you look at some of her classroom meetings and how she's trying to train up Snow to think like her, do you think she's trying to find someone who's smart enough because she doesn't want the Hunger Games to stop even after she's long gone? But it's going to take time. It's going to take effort. Because even at the end, she personally starts mentoring Snow. Yes. Um, that's a great question because Suzanne Collins doesn't outright tell you this is Dr. Gall's master plan but she is the game master she is the one who she would be like um you know the one directing everybody and everything so she has to have a very strategic mind and a very precise mind because she knows what she wants yeah well, think about it. Why did she give all those homework assignments to Snow even after he became a peacemaker and left? Why? What for? I think she's trying to find someone who has the smarts and the intelligence to take what she's trying to teach and apply it to the future. Yeah, which... I think would... Which leads you to two... Two possibilities, mm-hmm. which she co- she could just be like thinking this is the way people are, and I need to find the number one person who understands his own nature, mm-hmm. not one who thinks like me necessarily, but who is so close to his natural state in human nature that would understand my plans in the future of the Hunger Games. Mm-hmm. So you have that scenario. Or she could be thinking like, I'm just insane. <laughs> Which I think she is. I mean, I don't think that's like even a question. That's in all scenarios. She's insane. But... <laughs> and I just need to find someone that has a moldable mind who has more of a proclivity of going towards thinking on the same page as I do and who understands things the way that I would want them to understand so I can really raise them up and make them my disciple and make them into my creation. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which, Which is very Dr. Goalish. <laughs> looks like she succeeds because we see the Mm -hmm. end result. Yep. You know? Um, Are you... And then here's my next question. Do you think she's right, though? In her ideas? Because if you think about it, have you... I mean, are you a fan of the show Survivor? Or The Island? I love The Island. Okay. Yeah, we do too. What was the first one? So... Sorry, it cut out. Oh, Survivor. Oh, I, d- I never got into Survivor. Yeah, we didn't. But we liked the island, right? So, Isn't the island the dating show? Oh, no. Is the, that's a different kind of island. That's a fancy... Love Island. island. Oh, yeah, no, it's not Love Island. <laughs> so, 
So there's a show called The Island by Bear. Hey, Paul. <laughs> Love Island. Um, by Bear uh, Grills. Yes. Okay. So basically, his experiment was to take 14 British men, stick them on a deserted island. Now he checked because Bear is like a huge survivor. He checked to make sure they had enough water, food. Whatever. But he took 15 normal men, only had one day of survivor training. So, like, look, this way you eat, this way you don't eat. Good luck. Gave them basic tools and supplies and let them have at it to see what would happen. Because once you strip all the cultural layers, all the need for necessity, you strip it to the basic man, what happens? Like, do they have what it takes to survive? Does each human being have what it takes to survive? And the crazy thing about this is that me reading this book before I even watched the island, Dr. Gold, you think, oh, she's crazy, she's nuts. But is she right? When you put humans in their natural elements, in the bare bone, kill or be killed, what they, even children, okay, which is another thing. Children haven't grown up long enough to have so much of a film or a focus, right? These are children. They haven't lived that long enough. What happens to their natural state? Well, I personally <laughs> don't think she's crazy, but maybe that makes me crazy. Mm. Um, I have not seen that show, but it sounds amazing. It sounds like something Thomas and I would watch. You guys need to watch it. It's amazing. I yeah. I, I will look that up. It's on Prime, um, just to let you know. Prime. Oh, that's good, because we have Prime. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But I don't think that Dr. Gall is crazy. I think that she is running on a pure ideology that she, unfortunately, in this specific scenario world, mm -hmm. is very correct on. Yeah. Because so correct that her, she's having success in all aspects. Right. She's a successful professor, doctor. She is successful in finding a pure disciple who carries on her work right. until his end. Yep. For a good long while. It's a 65 years in the future. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> but there is no... There is no God in this book. Right, right. And in our world, God is what separates us from being in a Hunger Games society. Because when you look at the Soviet Union, when you look at the Nazis, they took away everything that was religious, everything that had to do with Jesus, mm -hmm. everything that would teach you that every human being has an inherent right to live and to be treated the way you want to be treated. Right. So when you take that away from humans, their only, their only option is chaos and destruction. Right. Well, I think when you take away everything that makes a human human, right? Um, and I think Dr. Gold does talk about that. Like, when you strip absolutely everything that makes a human a human, like a good human, a good standing citizen, if you strip all of that away, and you, not only that, but you put in a need to survive, 
or be killed. Um, you know, what, what can you do with that? And I didn't think, now Dr. Gall, she's crazy, but she's right. And I think that's really important because the best villains aren't just crazy, but they misuse their knowledge and their intelligence. Because what they say is actually true, they just misapply it, right? Because she does talk about how, okay, if you don't have rules, if you don't have a society, if you don't have limitations, you're just like in the Hunger Games, right? It's kill or be killed. So she, so the whole point of having the Hunger Games is to remind the districts who's in power and basically you outstep your boundaries. So this is your punishment. You'll never outstep those boundaries again. And so this is retribution. Is that the wrong way to apply that? Yes, please. Let's not start killing our own children or anything like that. Could you imagine but, like in World War II us doing that to the Germans mm -hmm. and to the Japanese? Like how yeah. insane that would be? Exactly. Well, I mean, and you even look at Lincoln um, for the Civil War. And when the South lost and so many Northerners, because war brings out the worst in people. Because once again, once you strip out everything, you strip away their way of life. You strip away like an easy way of life, of getting food, of getting water, of getting, of being able to protect your family. In war, you can't even have any of those basic promises to your life. When you strip all of that away, you know, you become more barbaric. And so like the North literally wanted to go and start killing the Southerners and having this huge prejudice against them. And even in Gone with the Wind, you know, shows the South having the exact same feelings to the North, that they're barbaric, they're inhuman. But Lincoln comes in and says, no, we're all Americans. We have to figure this out together. You know, and I think that's, but I think Suzanne Collins was, but what if you didn't have that sort of leader? What if you had a leader that said, no, exactly. I'm gonna make you pay? Cause it'd be just that easy, right? A simple oh, decision. Exactly. I mean, even if we think, what if Hitler did succeed and rule the world? What would have happened? It would have death and destruction. Yeah, exactly. One decision, one moment in history changes everything. And so now you have this world that used to be North America, which I didn't even know in the Hunger Games. It actually revealed it to me in this book that it was actually old North America. And I was like, wait, what? I thought that was a whole different world. But now we're looking right. at like the same Okay, like, I'm glad I'm not the only one. Yeah, I was like, realize what? That. Um, now it puts it in the same category as like Handmaid's Tale, where it's not like dystopian, apocalyptic, but it's right. futuristic, but not like sci-fi. It's it's in a special category like Handmaid's Tale of like what, if simple decisions were made, how could the future of America change? And so you have now this I love world. That. I know, right? Oh, I it's, love just thinking about different possibilities and I think that's what wonderful literature gives us. It's mm -hmm. like, if this happened, how would it play out? I mean, and that's like one of Thomas's new like graphic novels that he's reading. It's one of the Ninja Turtles, The Last Ronin, I think. It's oh, called. yes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I've heard so many good things about that. Mm -hmm. And I love these new writers just coming up with, if this happened, what would happen like how would we mm -hmm. how would we see this turn out and it's yeah. just beautiful yeah exactly um, and it's like we don't want this to happen so we need to prevent it at all costs from happening mm -hmm. in reality like but if you strip all human nature down what decisions would be made and i think looking at dr gold and then looking at snow and he learns it himself 
because as the story goes, you know, he goes in, he finds out he's going to be mentoring the tribute Lucy Gray. Now, Lucy Gray is from District 12, and she, I mean, from, like, square one, she shows that she's talented, she's smart, she's beautiful, and she wants to be remembered. So you don't have, like, this little tribute yeah. that's kind of scrawny, shy, and wants to kind of hide away. She goes, you know what? It's if all I'm about her go- looks. Exactly. She goes, if I'm going to go for this, I'm going to make people remember me. Yeah. And so as you're going through this whole story um, where, um, you know, the mentors are trying to give ideas on how to help the trainees and the, the um, tributes and stuff on these Hunger Games, you find out that Snow is the one who brings up the sponsorship and the betting. So people in the capital can bet on a tribute to win and they can send them money to sponsor and send them gifts and stuff. And he's also the one that started the interviews to get the people in Capitol yes. interested in the tributes. Which is very interesting because those are like some of the big main things that you see in the Hunger Games. You see immediately the tributes getting the mentor. You know, you see them coming down. You see them actually have decent lodging though. You know, this is like, once again, we, we talked about how this is more of a desolate capital than what we're seeing. I mean, they brought these tributes in and put them in like a monkey containment at the zoo. Exactly. Um, And then once again, they they don't feed them. They don't take care of them. They have a veterinarian look out for them. I mean, this is insane. Like it's, I mean, I love like this like little detail that she put. It wasn't a doctor that watched over them to make sure they didn't get sick. They got a veterinarian. Well, even in the book, yeah. none of these kids have last names. Only the mentors have last mm-hmm. names. They yeah. only have first names. Lucy Gray, that might even be her middle name. Yeah. And she wouldn't even consider herself District 12. She would consider herself Covey. Yeah. Which, which is like a, it's a gypsy form in Pan Am. Yeah. Yeah, which I thought was fascinating. Mm-hmm. And extremely clever like Suzanne Collins is such a wonderful author like she gives you so much and even though this is considered YA I I mean only I honestly don't like those generalizations Mm -hmm. because most people who read YA are not in that demographic that people would Mm -hmm. assume are reading it's women like us girl yeah i know right like, i mean in our 30s yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know and it's because that they they're just so imaginative and they get you thinking um and i love lucy gray's character because she's not just this boring little girl he could have gotten anybody but this girl is all about the way she looks her mother's dress you know she has a talent and if it wasn't for her i don't think that the hunger games would have evolved into this almost like talent show because lucy gray was the original talent mm-hmm. show yeah you know she was the one who showed snow that people will support someone that they like and right. that they love and someone who might not be the typical strongest um, victor 
could actually win because of people helping them. Right. And it's just, it's such a perfect way to, like, just have this origin story begin. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Well, I also love the fact that it's like, okay, how do you get people watching these Hunger Games? Because no one's watching them now. We get people who stand out, like Lucy Gray. Make her sing. Make her talk to the audience. Have them be able to participate in sponsorship. But then why should they still care about the tributes? Okay, so I like that tribute. Cool. Alright, yeah, I'll support them. But what would actually make them want to watch every single game until their tribute died? Well, you take what's most important with any society, and that's money. You make them put in their money to pet to put a bet on them. They're going to want to watch that show. They're going to want to support and put more money to support that person so they don't lose money. But then Snow says, but the nice thing is, is that betting that lottery then funnels into the capital's funds and they can make us rich. I mean, it was such a brilliant idea of like, not only do I have, how do I make myself survive, but how do I make the capital survive? Well, we need to get money. It is desolate. We can't repair things. We can't repair our roads. We can't repair things. I mean, there's still rubble in the streets. The arena is basically obliterated, you know, at this point. We need something. So he goes, well, how do we get them to care more than just, ooh, I like this person. Put in your money. Because especially after a war, that's a high commodity. And then, of course, as they get richer, it gets more of a commodity even more because everyone wants more money right and so I think it really locks in the very basics of the new Hunger Games it's not just about retribution now it's actually about a lifestyle on now if you look at Katniss though and if you look at hers if they take away the Hunger Games all the capital's funds go to nil now so now but then if the capital funds go to nil the districts will have no money either and so it's going to collapse the whole society unless the rebel know how are ready to take up those reins which i think is really interesting because you never know the dire need for hunger games until this where you're like oh snow set it up so you can't just stop the hunger games it is literally tied to the success of pandem as a whole but how messed up is that Yeah, because they're setting up their whole entire economy around these games. Mm -hmm. To where you have to kill your children in order to survive another day. I mean, Suzanne Collins, I think, really brought this to light. Because, I mean, the Hunger Games, you think, oh, this is an interesting world. What if this happened? And it was very interesting and cool. But no, this prequel actually showed, no, no, this is like you have to have the Hunger Games. People have to start watching the games. People have to be invested in it. Why? Because we're going to crumble society if we don't. And I'm like, whoa, wait a second. Hold up, you know? (laughs) That makes it way more powerful. So now when you're Katniss, you're like, yeah, stop the Hunger Games, yeah! Now I'm like, oh, but it's more complicated than that. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Because now, so it's like that once again in Dr. Gold that brings in that thing of like how far are you willing to sacrifice something in order to live for another day? Are you willing to kill an innocent animal in order so you can eat food? 
are you willing to sacrifice your children so that way everyone survives? Are you willing to go back to the barbaric nature of humanity but put rules and regulations involved so that way we don't like all kill each other? I mean, it's just... It just, Dr. Gold just makes all these, like, decisions to snow, and you see him actually trying to figure it all out through this story. And I think that's just, it's crazy to even think about how much snow had to figure out by the end of this book, you know, in process. Yeah, and that's, when you're explaining all that, it just makes me love YA so much because it really puts in perspective how capable our youth is because they are the whole reason that the Hunger Games even get annihilated. Yeah. Because if it wasn't for the youth in the games and for Katniss stepping up and being the Mockingjay mm -hmm. and for all their connections to work out for them to say, no, I'm not willing to sacrifice my children. Mm -hmm. And Katniss, the beautiful thing is she's able to have children who will never have to see the Hunger Games. Right. And, and like, that is something that, like, if you're a mom, it's like, no, I would never let this happen to my child. But the problem is if you're in a society where you just happen to be born in the wrong district or the wrong family, mm -hmm. you don't have a choice. Right. right. Until, until the rebellion. Right. And it wasn't until Katniss could get to a point of power where she could have allies to come around her and some were adults, some were her comrades, mm -hmm. and be able to overthrow Snow. And I think the most beautiful and wonderful part of the whole series was she didn't kill Snow. Right. Like, that, I felt like, was m one of my favorite parts of this whole story. Right. Um because it showed so much of her character and her realizations and it's like you know she just even though she was so young she was so wise mm -hmm. and a lot of this why literature can show the you know, the youth of our, you know America or anyone who's reading them really that you know, you can be smart, you can be make good decisions, you can mess up, but if you're put into a position, you can, you know, become a leader, you can stand up to tyranny. Mm -hmm. Like, and it's not just the adults to take ownership, because right now, a lot of adults are not taking ownership, you know? <laughs> So yeah. we just need whoever will stand up, you know? Yeah, well, I think you bring in a good point. I think the cool thing about art and why I love it so much is it always is able to speak to the person who's receiving the art. 
And books have an amazing way to help you dive in and delve into really big themes without thinking you're diving into them. Like this, like, okay, so if you look at Pan Am, you have all these innocent people who have to trust whoever's in control. The capital's running. They're saying the Hunger Games is what's best for them. You hate it, you hate giving up your children, but if you don't, your whole family dies. So you have to get the risk of putting up your children for tribute, right? But then once the rebellion comes in and overthrows all that, yay, we don't have a Hunger Games, but now you're still in the hands of someone else's power and you still don't really have control over your life. So, like diving into these themes, so then you say, okay, as a youth, I'm reading this and I'm like, oh my gosh. Well, then what do I need to do in order to step up? What do I need to do to make a difference? Because it starts with me now, right? It wasn't just Katniss. And I think that's why Katniss didn't really destroy Snow, because she understood. She was used to be a leader, but yet she had no power. Who had the power? The one who was the leader of the rebel army. So she had no right to kill Snow. Everyone thought she was a leader, but she wasn't. You know, because no, she, she had no power. She was like she was just the mascot. Mm -hmm. Exactly, she was the Mockingjay mascot. But you know, but it's true. It's like okay, well, then it's out of my hands, you know. Um, and so I think that's and I, I think that's why I think Suzanne Collins. Hopefully, not only does she write more to connect where Snow was when we left him in the end of this book to Hunger Games, I hope she continues that and to show Katniss what happens next. Because we see her go back to District 12, and she, you know, I don't think marries, but is with PETA. <laughs> Whatever that means. Um, it was yeah. very vague on that. Um, they might not even stay. I mean, or it might be like a you know, brother and sister almost relationship, but if she just takes care of him. I don't know. It was very vague on that whole I don't relationship. Know if it was that vague. I mean, they had a baby. Did they? Did they end up having a baby together? Yeah. Okay. And so. I'm pretty sure the end of the book specifies, but I'm like I said, I'm. I mean, sorry, it's, it's been, been a long time. Okay. A long time I think I kind of remembered it. that they had a kid, but I mean, it was like still very vague on like what does it, what does life look like? Are they being taken care of by now the new leaders of Panem? You know, I kind of want to. Don't see. go into it, really. No, you know, I think. I think I kind of want to know because now it's like, okay, because even poor PETA, he had no choice in what happened to him. How's he going to step up to kind of be like, you know what, I'm going to take control of my life now because it was stolen from me. My memories, my mind has literally been stolen away by Dr. Gold's work, you know, so. Well, that's like why they say the best revenge is to thrive Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. it's not to yeah. it's not to hurt the people who have hurt you. It's to live your life to the fullest, to mm -hmm. have children, to be married to the woman that you love. Because even though they did not have a traditional love story, <laughs> you know, That's it's as much of a love story as you're gonna get in these books. I <laughs> And I Sorry, your mind's all messed up, but you know I still I, was I still care all for you. For you know Katniss and Peeta being together, especially their whole connecting in the Hunger Games. Like for me, that was my absolute favorite part of the whole thing. I'm sure I'm not alone in that. Yeah, but like I think that their 
ultimate revenge to the capital is to thrive in a healthy, happy way, even though, of course, you know that they're going to be struggling with the PTSD because they oh, show that yeah. very, very well. Oh, my well. gosh, yeah. Like, I, and I love that about these books is because you always see the superhero never having struggles. Yeah, and it's like, no, and this I'm is like, human. This person never has anxiety. Yeah. Well, <laughs> like, never questions themselves. Yeah. Well, I think Collins does that. Once again, she's bringing these themes that not only teenagers can dive in and discuss and talk about, but adults can dive in right. and see and because talk about. Yeah. Children go through things that we would never understand. Right. We've never experienced, we've never had the man that we love attack us because he got brainwashed from these maniacal enemies in the capital. Using the We've, jack, was it the, not the yellow jacket, that's an actually real bug, but was it the jack, the, the bugs, the, the venom from those yes. wasp bug things. Yes, it was. <sighs> oh, I'm like, yellow jacket, that's a real wasp. <laughs> Those like the Jabber Jays, right? Yeah, something no. like that. Jabber Jays <laughs> is a bird. No, that. Yeah. You're... Sorry, guys. Okay, it was the big giant bugs that stung you and killed you. All right. <laughs> I will Google it. Yeah. <laughs> but um, these things were the ones that were like taking that venom and literally altering his mind to see a different reality. I mean, that's legit. It's like, oh my gosh, yeah. I mean, he had no choice in that. Come on. Cracker Jackers. That's what they're called. Cracker Jackers? Isn't Cracker... Cracker Jackers. Oh, they say Cracker Jackers, and I'm like, isn't Cracker Jacks like a food? <laughs> Dude, that would be so... <laughs> this little okay. popcorn ball. <laughs> um, But, you know... I mean, some of this stuff is so fantastical in the realm of actually happening to you. But, you know, I was thinking today, one of my favorite books is Exodus from Leon Uris. And I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right, so I apologize. Um, but the book Exodus is a fairly famous book. A movie was made... Um, from it even though it just didn't do it justice because this book is so long there's no way you can make a movie it was like a three and a half hour movie but it's all about the real war and the real war that the Israelites and the Jewish people had to fight against you know the Nazis and like you can't imagine your little sister being blown up by the capital but these people can like the right. people who survive this war which a lot of these people by this time are gone a yeah. lot of the people who remember that war are gone which mm -hmm. devastates me because it's such a pivotal moment in our whole world's history mm -hmm. and it's something that we don't want to forget because we don't want it to re repeat right um but there's so much it's such a complicated like story that it's like yeah it's just overwhelming absolutely so now here's my next question 
How do you feel about the whole story of Snow having to become a peacekeeper? I thought that it made sense, but what I didn't really like was the way that Dr. Gall was like, oh, just kidding, you're going back home and everything's all right now and you just happen to be going to university. All is well in the world. This was just a test. Except, was it? Because remember, she didn't stop the Dean from doing that, but because he didn't write his last homework assignment. But then when he figured it out and he wrote her that letter, that's when everything changed again. So once yeah, again, but, was she when looking she for an heir? That's, that's how she made it sound, though, at least yeah, in the it's book true. for me. It's true. Yeah. Like, oh, okay, like, you're good. <laughs> yeah. Like, so even if it wasn't, the, just her even, like, throwing that bomb on Snow, like, figuratively, not literally. <laughs> Um, it just, I felt like that was kind of one of the most, like, one of the abrupt scenarios in the story that I thought was reminiscent of her abrupt ending to Mockingjay. Mm, I was mm -hmm. just like, I don't like how it all wrapped up in the end to just favor Snow. Like, yeah. It makes sense, and I'm not... I don't hate it. It yeah. just... I don't know if it necessarily sits with me well. Mm -hmm. But, you know what? If it happened in real life, it wouldn't sit with me well either, you know? Yeah, you'd just be like, sometimes what that's in how the world? Things out. Yeah. Well, and, you I, know? and I think with Dr. Gold, she is crazy. She's off her rocker, but she's right, right? And so I think... I think I understand, like, because, I mean, I was getting towards the end. I'm like, how is this going to resolve? I don't even know how this is going to resolve. How can this story resolve? We have, like, exactly. ten pages left. How, you know, and then it's like, boom, 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 boom. And you're like, okay. That's why I want her to write more books. Because I'm like, okay, you can't just leave me there. You can't just leave me yeah. with that abruptness, like, oh, my gosh. But I think the only way, and I'm just going to say this, because uh, it was abrupt, and I completely agree with that. But the only way that works is because of how she treated him by making him go into the arena to go after Sages. Because she gave him an assignment and she goes, you need to, and he goes, but why? I don't even, she goes, you need to go in there. And he goes, okay, fine, I'll go in there. He comes out, he almost dies. No one tried to save him. He goes, why didn't you send someone to save me? She goes, cause I wanted to teach you a lesson. And when he got it, she was proud of him. But then she did one more homework assignment and he didn't get it. He got found out that he cheated. Although I don't think he cheated. I'm like, this is survival. There is no cheating in this. Hunger Games. It's all about survival. But anyways, that's beside the point. That's my whole, I'm like, how can he cheat for a non-cheating survival game where you just need to make your tribute live? But anyways. Um, yeah, like, what's that in the rule book? You're not no, allowed to give your tribute rat Food poison? And, yeah. Well, she didn't. he didn't give it to her. He just gave her... Oh, the, compact the compact for her to put it in there. But, you know, I mean, with dropping the handkerchief in the the snake container. But you but see, even she he saw... said he, he didn't know that they were going to be using the snake. Yeah, I mean, he was like, my butt, you see, you see that he's starting to like, think like gold, though. And he was right. It's because yeah. all she said was they're going to pay. And suddenly he sees those snakes going out. He's starting to think like gold. 
And so I think she saw by all the evidence of him cheating, she goes, he's starting to think like me, but I need to push it a little bit further. So she let him be part of the Keys Keepers to even go to District 12 to be in the most survival intense district that there is in Pan Am, where it's like bare minimum, hardly any food, you know, coal mining, work. And then she doesn't even call him back until he sends that homework assignment and when he turns in Sages. Sir so, Janus. Sir Janus? Yeah, it's Sir Janus. Sir Janus. Sir Janus. Surge. Surge. <laughs> Surge. Little Surge. Which, which, Sir Janus is a wonderful foil character for oh, Coriolanus. Yeah. And like I was telling you before there really is no heroes in this Mm-mm. story no there isn't and if Sir Janus could have been a hero it would have been wonderful but instead they had to kill him in the most awful way yeah and I I just like that just devastated me yeah so much because he was such he he was literally what Dr. Gall despised. Yeah. In every way. And he was the only one who had stepped up to her. Yep. Because he had a perspective that was completely different than all of the other Capital Kids. Yeah. Because he was there only because his father got rich. Yeah. He was a district boy. Mm hmm. Yep. So he didn't look at the tributes as different the way that if you were a capital you saw them as different mm-hmm. so that's like that's almost if you put it in our world's terms like a kid being Jewish and then somehow becoming not Jewish but then seeing Hitler's Germany not looking at these people as different but mm-hmm. the same it would be that type of scenario in our in a different and example here's, and here's why Dr. Gold and Snow don't like people like that because they can't control them exactly they can't rein them into that control and that prejudice and so they hate them because if you have a person and that's why I think Snow kills them because he goes, you can't do this. This is going to ruin everything. Do you know how many more lives can be killed? Do you know what you're doing? You'll put me in jeopardy. You'll put this whole base in jeopardy. You'll put Lucy Gray in jeopardy. You have no idea what you're doing. you got to stop this. The rebellion is bad. The rebellion killed my family. The rebellion. Do you know what happened to the capital? Do you want this to start over again? And so in order to maintain him and to control him, the only way he could do that was kill him. And that's, I think, when you see that he's starting to fully think like Dr. Cole. Like, humanity has to be controlled. Humanity has to be maintained to the rules that you set out, or chaos, like in the Hunger Games will ensue. Because when you strip everyone away from those rules of society, everything's fair game. And well, of so, course, doesn't that make most sense? Like, if yeah. you were in that scenario, do you want to go through another devastating war when... You can avoid it by just silencing this person. Sacrificing this one to save millions. It's always that, that conundrum. Even... That, that, that 
Oh, that question, you know? Even if that means you're saving millions but still oppressing more millions, <laughs> you know? Well, Pam's like, messed up. Yeah, <laughs> you're like, wait. You know? Well, and I think that's why this book also has you, what are your morals and what are morals? You know, I mean, I think, you know, Sage over there, he had good integrity morals. He loved humans. He saw them as all the same. He thought the Hunger Games were barbaric, which they are. He wanted to help people just to go live a life. They didn't want to live in Pan, and they were just going to go up in the mountains and live. They weren't going to hurt or harm or retribute on anybody. That wasn't his goal, because he goes, I don't want to be part of the rebellion either, because I don't want to kill anybody. But in a society like that, where control has to be maintained or people will die, it's like almost having the same equivalent as someone who's living on an island with, well, 14 guys, and they don't want to kill an animal to prepare food for them, because they don't want to kill an animal. It's like, what do you do? You know, do you kill the animal so you all can survive? But that means killing a life. You know, and it's like that whole question. And her books just really, yeah, technically a youth can read it. But I think that's the only reason why it's called YA. Because, yeah, technically mm -hmm. a youth can read it. But the this youth is are things. The, they're the whole people, they're the main characters. Right, exactly. So they but, can see themselves in these characters. Right. But I tell you what, adult, if adults read these, we're asking the same questions as though youth. Like, oh, absolutely. there are no morals in this land. So what is right, you know? And that's why, like, um, Dry, I want you, I want us to do one on The Handmaid's Tale because it brings up the same thing, but just in a more adult fashion. Like, what are the rules and what is right and why do we believe what we believe? You know, why do we believe murder is bad? More than just because it's in the Bible. Why? Well, because that's hurting. That's physically hurting somebody. You know, why do we not want to steal from each other? Why do we not want to, you know, lie to each other? Why do we not? And it's like, you have to come down to your core on why? Because yeah. just and one simple decision can change everything, you know? And it can get way more complicated than that. Because yes. even Jesus says murder isn't just physically killing somebody. Right. It could just be having hate for them in your heart. And mm -hmm. like for women it's easy for us to okay i don't like this woman because she <laughs> she did me wrong in some yeah. form or fashion and so oh, now yeah. Take i'm going her to ruin her reputation <laughs> oh you yes. know and that's yes. that's a form of murder yes you know? absolutely 100 percent. and so i'm i don't want to get too much into it but like coriolanus he actually does really murder people yeah and he doesn't feel bad after the second one. He's like, oh, this must just be how it is. Well, in the first one, he goes, it was just survival. And then the second one, but you see you see him starting to think like, oh, like, but you yeah. see the first one, he's like, well, it's just survival. But then he always attributes that to every killing. I'm killing to help us survive. And I think eventually that's how he views the Hunger Games is we're killing to survive. It's a survival thing. Because if we don't survive, and especially the world that he creates for Panem, the capital, and having it be this shining jewel of a city, right, for Panem, like this just, like, pinnacle of Panem, rich, 
fancy, has food, has drink, you know, all this stuff. Even, like, gives a nice suite to the survivors of the Hunger Games who actually, you know, and allows them to be mentors and have a good life, you know, afterwards. Um, you see him create this huge thing to then say, in a turn, it will all be destroyed and the people that you love and care about are just now, once again, it's just crazy to think about just how much and I think this book once again it's the only prequel that I know of to date that actually supports the original three books in such a way that you could see Snow and why the Hunger Games got to the way they were it wasn't just about the Hunger Games Katniss surviving now it's about the culture and the way of life for Panem and how even a disturbance in the Hunger Games and why when Katniss started raising up it scared Snow and why he hated Katniss so much because you're like you're just another surge. You're destroying this. You're creating chaos. You're killing innocent lives for what? You know? And it's just... It just... To really bring out those themes in a book and in a series in such a strong way, it just yeah. impresses me. Because it makes you think and it makes you internalize and be like, okay. And I think that's what makes art really good. Whatever form. Whether it's music. Whether it's... Um, actual paintings or sculptures or um you know dance if it helps you internalize it's good you know and actually see yourself see how you identify how you don't identify but also how you view the world or how you learn to view a world differently give you a new lens on the world it's just it's incredible absolutely incredible so the question we have to ask ourselves is, if we were in Coriolanus's shoes, would we make the decisions that he made so that he doesn't have to, or I guess so that we don't have to experience the trauma all over again of that war, of losing our whole family, of basically having everything stripped away that we once had? I want to be like Lucy Gray. I'll just be a gypsy. <laughs> Forget all this drama. I mean, I think I love that. Like, she actually entered in gypsies. Like, well, we're not district. We're not, you know, we're not They're capital. We're not district. Gypsies. We're, we're, we're just travel. We'll travel to the capital. But we'll also travel to the districts. We are just free spirited. We're for, here for everybody. I want to be they a gypsy. Aren't free. Yeah. Well, now they're not. They're stuck in District 12. Yeah, and that was because after the rebellion, um, Doctor was it Doctor Gold and like their team and whoever's in charge of Panem said, "No, now because that's the last place you sang at, you have to stay in District Twelve and sent the peacekeepers out." But before, with the rebellion, where they were allowed to go up and down the districts, they were allowed to go wherever they wanted. So they weren't district, but they weren't capital either. But they knew both sides of the world. I'm like, I'll just be a gypsy, man. I'll just... <laughs> so do you think that Corio killed Lucy Gray? Oh, yeah, I knew we were going to get to that. <clears throat> I don't think... I don't think he did. I really don't think. I think what I'm also intrigued is that's why I wanted to keep writing more. Because I want to see if she's actually mentioned in a rebellion, but we didn't know it. Because she goes by a different name or something. Like, because 
she said that she was going to go up into the mountains. We do find out that up in the mountains later in the books is where District 13's secret hideaway is. is like in the mountains slash old District 13 area. Um, and so I think she makes it up there and actually becomes part of the rebellion. Um, or just sings to them. Who knows? <laughs> but I think because she... Because she set up a trap so conveniently about putting a non-venomous snake in the bush. And then he doesn't see her. At this point, he's paranoid. He's not yeah. thinking straight. He's scared. And yet, hunting... People don't think like that. Lucy Gray just survived the Hunger Games. She knows to be silent. She knows to hide and crouch down. She knows when bloodlust comes in someone's eyes how exactly. to navigate that and yeah so no helped her but he wasn't in that arena for however many days she was like what was it two weeks or something I mean it was crazy how long they were there do you think that she saw the guns in the shed oh or... yeah yeah she saw them because she came over and said what'd you find and she saw them but then it clicked the only reason why snow was going with her is because he was he thought he was a wanted fugitive and he was gonna die. So once again he was playing on his own survival. But once his own survival was safe, it didn't matter. But now Lucy Gray became a loose end. Yeah, basically. A loose end to you know, maybe she'll you know, and that's where that paranoia comes in, like, oh, I can't control this situation anymore. This is out of my control. I need to kill something so something doesn't become chaotic. Right. And so that's why he wants to, but I don't think she got killed. I really don't. Because she just, once again, she knows the forest. She knows that area well. She saw the guns. She had a running head start to put that non-venomous snake just to kind of throw him off track. I think she honestly just left and let him to his own devices. Because she knew what he was going to do. Yeah, he was gonna exactly. hunt after her, and then he was gonna go back and bury the guns, and then go back to District Twelve. So why because does she need to wait or see? Because yeah. as much as they had this little love affair, it wasn't like what you what you see in an actual love story. There was no like just obsessive passion towards right. each other. Right. And she was already dealing with all these other guys from District 12 and from her little caravan of people mm-hmm. that she kept thinking about this other guy, not about Corio. Yeah, the, you know? the past guy, because but then he ended up going with the mayor's daughter or whatever. Yeah, so I don't think either one of them were ever truly Mm-mm. in it for each other, but they... It, just because of the situation they were in. Well, they survived something traumatic together, right? They had exactly. to rely on each other. They had that other. connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they had to rely on each other. Lucy but Gray had to rely on was over, you know, he, he didn't... And he, whenever he would talk about her, it was never her as a person. Right. It was her as how, he's, how she's going to help him get to a, a certain point. It was never... Exactly in a loving way towards an actual person that he cared about. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Snow cared about himself and his survival and his family's survival. But even in the end, he says, I will never love again. 
or even better, I'll marry somebody who I hate, but I can keep happy, so that way I don't have to be vulnerable again. Because here's a guy who, he's tired of being forced in these vulnerable situations, which is funny, because he's going to make these kids do the same thing in the Hunger Games, is put themselves in a horrible, vulnerable position. But he goes, never again am I going to be putting myself in that. And so he does everything he absolutely has to do so he never has to be put in that vulnerable position again. And as we see, he becomes president of Pan Am and becomes a guy who, yeah, he never is vulnerable. And it doesn't matter. The Hunger Games are a means to survival, and he doesn't care about Katniss's life. It's just that she's creating chaos, so she needs to go. So before I realized that this was 65 years in the past, I thought maybe <laughs> it was Katniss's mom in disguise. Because Lucy Gray did make a comment about how she loved Kat the name Katniss. Mm-hmm. But then... I'm like, 65 years, that would not be plausible. <laughs> but here's the thing. Could she be, because if she survives and goes and then comes back to District 12, could she be a relative of Katniss, though? That I would absolutely believe and would make 100% sense. And maybe Katniss was a family name. Mm-hmm, exactly. Because we don't know where Katniss came from. It's just that it was a flower in um, District 12 or whatever. Or herb or so, whatever was it? Some, yeah, District Twelve. Yeah, was it an herb or a flower? I think that it was I a don't flower. Remember. It was, yeah. I think it was a flower. Yeah, a flower. Um, um, but all in all, I think that after this conversation with you, it opened up my mind more about this book and about this story and that's one thing I like about being able to actually talk to people about books is you get more of a full idea of the book in general because my comprehension will only go but so far mm -hmm. without but like talking to you I feel like you helped me be able to see more of the book that I didn't initially even with reading it you know, a couple times through because there were some points where I was in it and I could follow it, but then there were other points, especially like the Hunger Games where I was like holding on by a thread like I'm trying to, <laughs> trying yeah, to get through God. this and power through, but I think this book gets an A plus in explaining Coriolanus and explaining why he is the way he is and also an A plus in building the inception of how the games got to where they are. Maybe not in the full concept but just the sparks of ideas that got it to be the grandeur that it eventually became before yep. they were annihilated. So would you like to better. see more books either continuing this one or continuing the original Hunger Games? Honestly, I love the original Hunger Games so much. It was seriously some of my favorite YA I've ever read. And I really like Suzanne Collins's style of writing. Um, 
I think she is wonderful, and I understand fully why a publisher would want to publish these books because it's just well thought out, and I think she's very intelligent. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you have to be to put in like all these like little nuggets throughout this whole story. I mean, I kept reading it, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so smart. Even from yeah, a writing it's perspective, like, it's, it's so like smart. A- it's almost like a young adult Game of Thrones just because of how many <laughs> characters there are in here. Oh, my oh I goodness. thought you were going like, to say how many characters die. I'm like, oh, that's true. <laughs> I mean, and I think because there are so many characters, that's another thing that lost me because I'm like, I'm just trying to juggle all these different characters in my head. Like, I would get Clemencia and Arachne mixed up all the time. And, oh, yeah. Um, I guess my little brain just kind of... <laughs> figure it out the first time through but i i made one, it and one and got, it worked one became a technicolor half snake half human and the other one got her throat slit so you know exactly i mean, I mean you mix those up i mean why not but here's the right? thing is dr goal also and here's another thing that snow actually questions because yeah they're having the youth of the districts but wasn't goal because how many of the mentors ended up dying too? They were doing the exact same thing to those mentors. So the bombing, a lot of them died, mm-hmm. and then because uh, Arachne was being super annoying, oh man, I probably would have slit her throat too. I know. I was like, <laughs> oh my gosh, I can't like, believe. Stop you. tempting yeah. me with that sandwich, woman. I will slit your throat. Yes, exactly. Oh, and then there you go. Yep. And I don't care if I get shot because I'm gonna die in these stupid Hunger right. Games well, anyway. It. They had nothing to lose, and you're teasing someone who has nothing to lose. No. It's like, um, and you know, that's just me coming at it from a total fictional. I would never want anyone to get their throat slit in real life. Yeah. <laughs> but if anyone in fictional land deserved it. I think she deserved it. Well, as a writer, you can say that. I'm like, you know what? You do me wrong, I'll slit your throat. (laughs) As a writer, you can do it. Um, I won't ever do it in real life, but I will do it with my pen. (laughs) So if I'm writing a character about you and you do me wrong, sorry, your character's dead. It's gone. It's gone. It's gone. That's Um, just my antisocial behavior coming out (laughs) in a productive way. There you go. There you go. But yeah, I mean, it's that whole thing of like, you know, Dr. Gove was messing with the lives of young kids, whether it was capital or district. She didn't care. They were dispensable. Exactly. Human life is dispensable unless you find that one that's thinking like her. And I think that's why she attracted Snow. Because, like, ah, like, that's why I think it's like a Willy Wonka moment. Like, I'm getting old. I need someone to take over this. But you are thinking like me. You well, are see, even Coriolanus like was dispensable for her, too, because. If he died, it was. Then- up to him yeah. whether he got out of the Hunger Games yeah. alive or not with yeah. Sir Janus. Well, that's it. She'd probably be like, oh, well, he didn't make it, so now I'm going to try to find a new person. He wasn't good exactly. enough. It was like, instead of... She needed to find the strongest of the pack. Yeah, I mean, even instead of being tempted by chocolate, I'm going to see if you, you know, can survive, you know, a bloodthirsty killer. Right. I would rather be tempted by chocolate and go out by eating chocolate than, you know, running for my life, but... You know. Because it's one thing to be the like most intelligent or most intelligent in Dr. Gall's eyes, but it's another to be the most intelligent, but also being able to be physically agile 
and physically know how to navigate a situation where you're about to die like right. literally right. about to die yeah. yeah and she needed that she needed someone who could think both ways and i think she got it and and who that's isn't... why he became president mm-hmm. and who isn't afraid to kill life to preserve the order i think that's super important especially at the end you know it's like he had to, in order to, you know, I mean, he killed Sage, he tried to kill Lucy Gray, you know, he basically turned his back on, you know, his whole peacekeeper groupies without them knowing was because he had to keep the order. But they think he's amazing. They think, you know, they lifted him up and said, you're here, you're a great guy. But he sacrificed one of their friends. He sacrificed and put so many of his friends in danger just to keep him, you know, his survival and stuff. And so, yeah, I think, man, it's just such a good book. It just brings out yeah. all these things. Like, I think I can keep finding, like, these, like, little nuggets of things that Suzanne Collins brings out. But I felt the same in The Hunger Games. Like, she wove this thing. I'm picking out, like, these different themes, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I have to think about that now. Well, I'm so glad that I recommended a book that you like because I know by the end of this I will recommend a book that you will not like but I am going to try to recommend some books that we both haven't read that way we can have a fresh perspective yeah but of course there's going to be books that we have read in the past but it's good to reread and to be able to actually talk to someone else that's not just you about a book that you might have loved in the past and it'll just like you've already done for me mm-hmm. shed some more light on what you've just experienced and you know that's why you know I love watching these YouTube channels of these people reviewing shows like Stranger Things and stuff cuz they pick up on so many different things and so many different little easter eggs that you know I would have never connected had I not watched that channel. So absolutely, one hundred percent. I just think that you know anything to help me understand more is is really great, and I hope I do for you as well. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Well, that's it. I mean, you brought things too of different perspectives and just like different thought points of just like hey well what if we think about this you know what what would happen if this happened you know I mean I think I think that's once again why we make great team is because we just kind of help each other with that you know and I'm the same way I love learning like I love history I love cultures I love anything to make me think differently or process things differently even though if I might not necessarily agree with that I'm open to try to see it because I want to learn and even like accept that different opinion or accept that different viewpoint even though I may not agree with it I love just looking through that lens because you can see so many different things if you look through a different lens from time to time you know you can see different um just like things are like even how you said like how would you do the Hunger Games with snow how would you want to go about you know even though it's like I hate the Hunger Games I don't ever want to offer kids I think once again it goes against humanity but that also brings you to yourself. But if you were stuck in that situation, what would you do? Like, I don't would know. you want to open that wound again mm-hmm. and not know how it's going to end up? It might blow up in your face. Like, you have no idea. Mm-hmm. 
but exactly without without a moral compass you know and without parents to guide you yeah like what are you supposed to do you just have to go on you know whatever the wind takes you and the wind brought um Coriolanus Dr. Gall and Dr. Gall was his his guide because his parents were gone his grandmother wasn't gonna help him she she was just you know singing the anthem every day (laughs) smelling her roses too much you know like just trying to enjoy the last few moments of her life (laughs) you know that was pretty pretty you know devastating by the end of it Mm -hmm. but um i think that's why you know we gotta be strong in in what we believe and what our morals are and mm-hmm. you know it's hard when you're a young person it's like you're trying to figure out who you are yeah let alone how you should treat other people it's like you know are you how how do we look out for ourselves but also for our fellow man yeah well that's it life is always going to challenge you on your morals the question is, is how are you going to respond? Like, it, I mean, even the Bible verse and even all the Proverbs, um, not even like scripture related, they all talk about when the pressure of life comes, reveals the true man. When everything is stripped away, like even like on the island, when everything is stripped away, you're shown the real character of a man. But what does that look like? Are you only going to survive to keep yourself alive? Or are you going to help a team of people? Are you going to try to make a society? Are you going to try to make rules and set up things? Or are you going to just sit there and just not do anything and just mope around? I mean, when pressure of life comes, reveals the true character. And the more life presses it, the more you're revealed. And so not only do you have to believe in these things, but you have to know why you believe them or you won't. It'll just kind of crumble. I think the Bible is very clear on that too. Like, you know you're going to go through heated moments. You're going to literally go through a fire. But if you truly believe it, not just because your parents believe it, not because you were told to believe it, but if you truly believe those things yourself, you're going to withstand the fire. And I think think with Snow, it, it really shows that, that he has to choose for himself. But like you said, that makes it tricky for him because he has no model laser except for this crazy Dr. Gold. And so of course he's going to accept her wisdom and accept her guidance. Because he has nobody else to help him through this crazy life to kind of direct him or to help or to decide what to do or what's right or not. He just knows that the capital is the best. He needs to survive. His family needs to survive. So Dr. Gold is willing to do that so he does it. You know? And so like you said, I think that's why it's so important for mentors and for people to kind of help you and guide you because if you don't have that especially as a youth let alone i still need somebody to help me (laughs) and to like you said like i love listening to the podcasts and other things just kind of keep keep myself learning and growing and understanding because if i don't have that when life comes am i really going to be able to withstand it and keep my morals and keep my my goal of loving others to the best of my ability will i keep that or will i just revert back to my human nature you know yeah, and I mean that's why Israel the name means to wrestle with God because mm-hmm. we're 
always wrestling we're with. We're always wrestling, and you, we feel it too, man. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, it's just he he knows it. So, yeah, what can he do? Exactly. Well, thank you so much. Um, is there anything you. else you wanted to talk about, or any other questions you had, or? No, I think. Besides the fact that the whole reveal of Dean Highbottom and total, oh man, I just have to reiterate that just the reason why he hated Coriolanus so much was because of what his father did to him. Yeah. It just, it makes so much more sense reading it the second time because... It's like, why is the Dean picking on this guy so much? Mm -hmm. And you don't find out until the very end. Oh, it's because Coriolanus' dad took his idea. And, you know, the Dean Highbottom felt totally responsible for the Hunger Games. Which is why he had to sedate himself on a daily basis because of guilty. his guilt. Mm -hmm. Yep, exactly. Well, that's it. You know, these boys were just talking, basically, like at a pub, just shooting these ideas. And Snow's dad apparently had a very similar mind to Snow. <laughs> yeah, their minds are very similar, and so he took that straight to Doctor Goal. But then, you know, he credited it to Dean Highbottom. Exactly. Because mm -hmm. it was his idea. Yeah, it was his idea. But, but he he didn't want. To actually put it in practice. Right. But so, I just had to reiterate that. I know. It's so true, though. You're just like, all oh, right. She, like, but then what Snow... always gives you these, like, wonderful little, like, threads that were through the entire story. Yes. That just once you, it gets revealed, it just, everything pulls together yep. and makes sense. Yep. And then Snow lands on top. Snow got him back for all the retribution. And I'm like, it's like, don't mess with the snow. And that's where you see the first becomings of President Snow is in like that last epilogue. Like almost like the last two pages, you see the very makings of President Snow is when he kills Dean Highbottom and um, just teaches him you don't mess with the snow. Although Dean Highbottom was probably glad to be done. He was so miserable he yeah. was probably glad to be done, but... It was a mercy kill. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's it. But Snow was like, you know what? All right. You know, I'll kill you, but it's like, you don't mess with me anymore. You know? And it's like... And that's that whole mental lens now that Snow has. That you come against me. Once again, you create chaos in my life, my bubble. Mm -mm, I'm not going to allow that anymore. And I think a lot of that's because so many things were once again out of his control. He's like, no, I'm done. All right. So. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for joining us. And um, you all come tune in next time for us when we do our podcast on My Cup of Tea. So take care. 